Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, what's up? Welcome to the BHITB podcast. I'm your host, Dante Fortson. Today, we're going to get into the second part of the law keeping study. Uh, before I get into that, make sure you go grab your free book, uh, www.blackhistoryinthebible.com. Make sure you subscribe, drop the email in the box, and I'll send the free book PDF uh, version to you. The link will be in the email. Make sure you click the confirmation link. Uh, so you can get updates on uh, studies and podcasts and everything else that I post. Also, Patreon. If you're not already a patron, make sure you go to Patreon. Check that out. You can support this ministry and everything that I do for only a dollar. You get access to a couple of the sections on the website, the Food for Thought section. I drop a lot of insights, uh, tell you about a lot of things that are going on in my mind towards Scripture. Yeah, it's it's a Pretty decent section. You might like it. I also have a couple more sections coming. There's a welcome package. There's all kind of stuff you get when you become a patron. Um, So go check that out. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this. So today, uh, actually, well, yesterday I had a couple questions after I posted on YouTube. Uh, People just, you know, wanting general questions. So I kind of combined them all into like this one single question. So basically people wanted to know, why didn't I just come out and say, hey, we're under the law or we're not under the law? And the reason I started the way I did was to build a proper foundation because my experience has been people don't want to build the proper foundation. They just want to jump straight to the answer. And then when you jump straight to the answer, they ask you to support it with scripture anyway. So then you have to go back and build the foundation anyway. So if people just started right, instead of, instead of trying to throw the building up before the foundation and they start at the foundation and then work themselves up to the building, then the argument is stronger. So I started from the foundation yesterday, why we were cursed uh, for 400 years, and that was because we disobeyed the first two commandments. That was the penalty for the first two commandments, and I pointed out that the camps don't teach this because the camps don't go through in depth and study the word. They cherry-pick the parts of the word that they believe support their position, and they ignore everything else. And we're going to get further into that today, and then there's also going to be a part three tomorrow, so just know this whole this whole holiday weekend, I might be coming to you with uh, different episodes. So tomorrow there will definitely be a part three to this, and then um, Saturday I believe I'm going to do the part three to the Gentiles, and plug that in and show you how the um, Black Hebrew Israelite camp doctrine is deceptive in that regard too, as to who they identify the Gentiles as. All right, so going on that. I'll just say this. I have three statements I do want to make about building foundation. So to provide answers without context is irresponsible on the part of the teacher, in my opinion. Now, if you're in a rush and it's somebody you already know and somebody you've had previous conversations with, that's a different story. But if you have a new person in front of you and you don't provide context, that's irresponsibility. Um, and I mentioned if you give a direct uh, answer, people logically, to me it's a logical response. They want the scripture to go with it, which is what you should always do. Acts 17.11, don't believe anything anybody tells you. Take it to the word. And then, um, yeah, it's important to have a solid foundation to understand scripture. If it's supported by scripture, you change your belief to fit the scriptures. You don't try to twist and change the scriptures to fit your belief because at that point, you're no longer a believer in the word. You're a believer in your own doctrine, and there is a difference. Believing the word puts you on a solid foundation. Trying to believe your own doctrine and cherry-picking stuff and deleting other stuff and ignoring stuff is not solid doctrine. All right, so the Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks of a new, a coming new covenant. Some people teach that we are not under the new covenant. And so today we're going to talk about that, uh, the buildup to the coming new covenant. 
Uh, so we'll start in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the old covenant. So this covenant is going to be different. Not according to the old covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So let me stop right here. So God tells us that there's going to be a new covenant that's different from the old covenant. The old covenant was the law keeping. So if there's a new covenant that's different, it means that the new covenant will not be law keeping. Keep that in mind because the, the camps teach that we're still under the law. And some of them teach that we are no longer under the, or we're not yet under the new covenant, but I'm going to show you where that's wrong. Um, it says, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the grace of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. All right. So the new law won't be laws written on stone tablets like they were with the um, Hebrews or the Israelites, they will be written upon the tables of our heart, right? And we're going to get to that because that's exactly what Christ preached. That's exactly what Paul preaches. That's exactly what uh, Luke testified to, John and Matthew. So we're going to, we're going to um, go through to Matthew. Or actually, you know what? Let me go to Isaiah uh, before we jump into the New Testament. We'll stop at Isaiah chapter 1. And this is an um, interesting passage because verses 1 through 18 God says something interesting, and when we read stories in the Bible, just understand that not everything is 100% about the past. Of course, it's history, but there's some prophetic, even if it's not a book of prophecy, and then some stuff is foreshadowing. I wouldn't necessarily call it prophecy directly, but it foreshadows what's to come. Um, and this is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It says, the vision of Isaiah, so you have a vision, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Now, remember yesterday when uh, I did the part one, I mentioned that God said that his anger would be provoked by worshiping idols. We saw that, and I demonstrated that all throughout the Bible. You worship other gods, that would provoke him to anger. And so he's saying here, they've forsaken me and provoked me to anger. So verse 5, why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will, ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate desolate as overthrown by strangers and the daughter of zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers as a besieged city 
except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? So God is speaking now. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to read to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, incense is an abomination unto me, the new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. God here is saying he's sick of the law. But you you can read this for yourself. I want you to go through and read the whole chapter of Isaiah for yourself. But God is saying he's sick of the law. Verse 15, and when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. So God has changed. He said, I'm sick of your sacrifices because you keep messing up. And verse 18 is the, the kicker right here. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So here God says, I gave you the law. I'm sick of the law. I'm sick of your sacrifice. I'm sick of all this. So now let us reason together. When the word reason in this context it actually means let us sit down. Let us have a discussion. Let us talk. Let us come to an agreement. So God is actually lowering his standards because Israel cannot keep them up. They sin so much that it's constantly sacrificing. So he said, I'm sick of all this stuff. I'm sick of bearing the law. He said, I am weary of them. That's in verse 16. So God is sick of the law, right? So we have a change of heart, which is going to foreshadow what's coming. And this is what I meant about foreshadowing. Um, so now we'll come to the New Testament, right? So we have this. Isaiah 1, 1 through 18, but read the whole chapter for context. Don't take my word for it. In Matthew chapter 5, 17, Christ said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And there's a study um, that you should go read on, the, on uh, blackhistoryinthebible.com. And I'll give you the study in a minute because I do want to update it. Uh, but I'll have the study link in the show notes. I can't think of the correct name off the top of my head, but I am going to update it and add this video so it will be in the show notes. Um, so check those on blackhistoryinthebible.com. This is episode number 13 if you're looking for the episode with the notes. All right, so Christ didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law, right? Now, people look at this and say, okay, that means the law is still in effect. Wrong. He came to fulfill the requirements of the law. The requirements of the law required a perfect sacrifice, a, a, a sheep without spot or blemish, and there's all these other sacrifices. He came to fulfill that and be the perfect sacrifice. But furthermore, on top of that, later as we get to it, I don't want to rush it, but basically it says loving your neighbors yourself is fulfilling the law, and it says greater man, love has no man in this that he laid down his life for his friends. So when Christ laid down his life for the world, 
not just the Hebrews, the world. We'll come to that too tomorrow in part three. When Christ laid down his life, he fulfilled the law. So, again, not to get ahead of myself, let me, let me get back on track. Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Now, this is Christ speaking. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, right? Until John. He's talking about John the Baptist. So if, if the law and the prophets prophesied until John, that means they are done, done prophesying, right? We'll say in that context, they're done prophesying. And now the Messiah is here to fulfill those prophecies, right? He's here to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. Uh, if we go to Matthew 23, yeah, let me jump over here to Matthew 23, uh, verses 23 through 28. All right, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. The, the huge one, faith. These ought ye have done, and not leave the other undone, ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. He's talking about the law keepers. The scribes and Pharisees are the law keepers. Now look around. If if he described the, the Pharisees at that time, they had a temple. They lived in a culture. The entire culture supported the law keeping and the law of Moses. And I'm talking about this was everyday life. Everybody participated in this. They had the culture. They had the temple. They had the law of Moses. And yet he pointed out that they weren't keeping it. So for those of you following this camp doctrine, if those people couldn't keep it, why do you think that these guys standing on corners preaching nonsense, in a lot of cases, outright false teaching, why do you think that they're keeping the law? I've already pointed out that they're breaking two commandments when they teach you to hate Edom. They're breaking the commandment that says, thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, and they're breaking the other commandment that says, thou shalt not hate thy brother. Two commandments right there, and then they're breaking the first commandment of Christ because it says any man that hates his brother and says he loves God is a liar, period. That's uh, 1 John 4.20. So they're standing out and they're teaching this stuff, right? They're teaching that they're keeping the law. They're not. They're not, because the, the, our forefathers couldn't keep it in a time where law-keeping was a general consensus in the community they lived in. So let's move on. John testifies of the same thing. Um, so Christ said the, the – um, Matthew testified that Christ said the prophets and the law were until John. So in the book of John, First John – I'm sorry, John chapter 1, verse 17. John, not First John. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses – but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So Moses is the law. Grace is under Christ. This is important. Keep that in mind. And then we're, now we're going to backtrack to Luke. And the reason I did this is because the order in which the Bible is written. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and I want to touch on those together. So I'm lumping Luke with Acts. So let's move on to Luke. Do you believe Luke? This is a valid question you have to ask yourself. If you believe Luke's testimony, 
then everything else I'm about to say will fall into place. If you do not believe the book of Luke or you do not believe sections of the book of Luke, you might as well get rid of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, period. You can't say, oh, well, I only believe some of what Luke said because Luke isn't trustworthy. If he's not trustworthy, don't trust anything he says, period. So if you believe Luke, you're good to go. So Luke says in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, he testifies that Christ said the following, the law and the prophets were, past tense, until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Christ said the law and the prophets are done. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, right? So if they're done and he's now preaching the kingdom of God, that means that there's something new coming. And what did we just read in the um, book of Jeremiah? The new covenant was coming. Read in the book of Isaiah that God was sick of the sacrifices and he was going to reason with us and forget our sins. And now we have Christ here preaching that that time has come. And grace will now put us in that position to be forgiven of our sins without having to follow the law. So Luke confirms, let's, let's move on. Luke is going to confirm Paul and Barnabas as apostles because a lot of the camps have a problem with Paul's teaching because Paul is 100% clear that we are not under the law. Paul does not mix words. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says we're not under the law, right? So now Luke confirms that the Holy Spirit spoke to the, the disciples to confirm that Paul and Barnabas were apostles. You can read that in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. This is Luke's testimony of Paul being an apostle. This ain't Paul talking about himself. Luke says that these people were gathered together. The Holy Spirit made himself known. The Holy Spirit declared Paul and Barnabas apostles and said he had work for them to do. And then they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas to send them away with their blessing to preach what Paul preached. So if you're rejecting Paul, you're also saying Luke is a liar because Luke says that the Holy Spirit confirmed this. And if you're calling, if you're calling, let me let me go, let me jump down to verse 38 before I get into that. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Acts 13, verses 38 through 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. They're referring to Christ. I'm going to read that again, uh, part of that. Through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So here we see the new covenant in effect. You're justified from all sins by Christ, something the law of Moses does not accomplish. So if you're out there trying to keep the law in order to be justified from your sins, Acts, Acts 13, 38 through 39 says something different. So let's move on to what I was about to say. If the Holy Spirit confirmed Paul as an apostle, why would you listen to any group of people that reject Paul? It's a valid question. When you see people out there rejecting Paul, ask what their motivation is behind it. If you believe scripture over man, you can trust the words of Paul because Luke said, hey, this is what happened. If you believe scripture over man, you can believe Paul because the Holy Spirit confirmed Paul. If the Holy Spirit confirmed Paul, those rejecting Paul are basically claiming to know better or more or to be more scripturally sound than the Spirit. That's blasphemy, no matter how you slice it. If you're putting yourself above the Spirit who confirmed Paul and said, hey, this is of God, and you're saying, no, that's not of God, you're basically trying to correct God, that's blasphemy. 
And what did Christ say about blasphemy of the spirit? Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men, period. And that's not the only way to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's just one. But these people in the camps that are out there on the corners teaching you that you can't trust Paul, thereby you can't trust the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit says you can trust Paul, they're basically teaching you to call God a liar. And as I point out more of their doctrine, and they don't come right out and say this because many of them probably don't even realize that they're saying it because they're not called to teach in the first place. They just stand out on a corner yelling stuff because they read a few things in the book and haven't really done the research, nor were they called to preach, so the preaching false, falsely. So if you reject Paul, there's a chain reaction, right? There's a chain reaction. Luke testified that the Holy Spirit confirmed Paul. So if you reject Paul, you got to reject Luke's testimony, which means you have to get rid of the book of Luke and you got to get rid of the book of Acts. That's two books down out of 27, right? You reject Paul. You also have to reject all of Paul's writings. That's Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, or Philemon, however you want to pronounce it. Possibly the book of Hebrews, 13 to 14 books right there, right? So now you're 15 to 16 books you have to absolutely reject. And because Matthew also uh, says that Paul, I'm sorry, Christ taught that the law ended with John, and that's what Paul teaches as well. If you reject Paul, you have to reject that teaching from Christ and Matthew, which means you're rejecting part of Christ's teachings. And you also have to reject Matthew because Matthew said this is what happened. So now you're, you're up to 17 books. And if you reject Matthew, you have to reject John as well because John says the same thing. And John wrote John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. That's five more books you've got to get rid of. So you're up to 22 out of 27 books you've got to reject. Once you start rejecting Paul's writings, you're, you're, most of the New Testament is done. 22 out of 27 books. So let's look at a, an example, another foreshadowing example. This is Acts chapter 15. And I'll read parts of it, and you can just see for yourself exactly who it sounds like. If you put that in a modern-day scenario, the, the scenario that happens in Acts chapter 15 is exactly what's happening right now. It says, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. What are they doing? They're preaching the law. They're trying to say you have to follow the law of Moses to obtain salvation. Now, these men are believers, and it's going to say that in a minute. They believe in Christ, but they're also teaching the law, just like the Hebrew Israelites are, the camps are. It says, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas immediately start debating with them. Now, this is two chapters after Paul and Barnabas have already been confirmed with the Holy Spirit. So we know Paul and Barnabas are in the right because the Holy Spirit has already endorsed them. Case closed. But they go up to Jerusalem anyway to consult the apostles and the, and the elders, right? It says, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phineas and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. We're going to come back to the Gentiles at a later date. Says, and when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all, all things that God had done with them. Now, this is also one of the few times you're going to see Paul go back to Israel, into Jerusalem. He doesn't preach. He goes there for consultation, and then he goes back to Europe to continue preaching. He doesn't preach in Africa and Arabia. Paul goes there for advice. 
uh, Acts 15, 5, he says, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now, these are the law keepers, the Pharisees. They did believe in Christ, saying that it was needful. He, he's relaying um, the information what happened, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Who does that sound like? Black Hebrew Israelite camps, right? They are believers in Christ, which is what they say, and yet they teach the need to keep the law of Moses. Here's the response. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter, Peter spoke to the Gentiles as well. Um, it says, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between them, between us and them, purifying their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He's asking this question. Why are you tempting God to put a yoke upon us that we weren't able to bear? Christ said it. The Pharisees weren't keeping the law. Peter said it. The Pharisees weren't keeping the law. The law keepers weren't keeping the law. And here's Peter still talking. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Paul and Barnabas, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Now, this is where you got to start getting rid of more books. You had to get rid of the books of James and First and Second Peter. So, I mean, once you start rejecting Paul, it says, Simeon hath declared how God at the first day visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to agree, and to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this, I will turn and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Know unto God. Are known unto God are all the works from the beginning of the um, from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is, listen closely. This is this is the conclusion that James came to, that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornications and from things strangled and from blood. I'm gonna stop there real quick. Now, according to the Hebrew Israelites. The Gentiles are scattered Hebrews that don't know who they are, right? Wouldn't we fit that definition? We were scattered Hebrews who didn't know who we are, right? James said the only thing they have to avoid are pollution of idols, fornication, things strangled, and from blood, right? Now, without getting too deep into the fornication argument, the definition of the modern church's version of fornication is wrong. They ascribe it to premarital sex. The definition actually refers to ritual prostitution in the worship of other gods. Those first, two, those first two commandments, it keeps coming back to that. The Catholic Church wanted to put up their idols, so if you read the Catholic list of Ten Commandments, they removed the part about the graven images, and then they put more of an emphasis on sex. And so over time, they started to put more of an emphasis on sex. Now, this isn't about whether or not premarital sex is right or wrong, but more so the definition of the word and its application. So when you see the word fornication in the New Testament, you'll always see it associated with idolatry. So this is their thing, to stay away from these idolatrous practices, blood and things strangled and fornication. It says, for Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, 
being read in synagogues every Sabbath day. It says, then it pleased the apostles and elders of the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief among the brethren. So basically, they concluded that they don't need to do anything except for stay away from idolatry and love God. They do not have to keep the law. This came from Peter, from John. This came from Silas. This came from Judas. It came from Barnabas. It came from the Holy Spirit. And you can read that whole chapter yourself to um, really dig into what's going on. Once you get into this practice of rejecting books or rejecting certain teachers, you, you start down a line that you can't turn back from because all these people confirmed that what Paul was teaching is true. We are no longer under the law. This is why the camps avoid teaching the New Testament. They don't study it, and they're not called to preach. And so when they do start preaching the New Testament, they see stuff that's contradictory, and they say, oh, no, we can't teach that. we got to avoid that. we got to toss this out. Don't let these people steal your salvation. These people, in my opinion, are out to steal salvation, and you'll see that the more you study. I will be back tomorrow with part three. Let me know if you have any questions or comments. Leave uh, comments on YouTube. Uh, make sure you go to blackhistoryinthebible.com and visit and make sure you um, make sure you read up on Acts 15. It's very important. Read Acts 15. Read Acts 13 because we're going to uh, get into that as well a little bit deeper um, on Saturday. So with that said, you guys have a great holiday weekend. And until next time, I'm out. <laughs>